I just read something that you'll probably want to take out of this interview. Spoiler alert, I don't take this out of the interview. Stay tuned for this episode of House of Books. Hi, welcome to the House of Books podcast. I'm Catherine, your host. So my guest today is Sheila Solomon Shotwell. She's the author of two young adult novels, Gone Before Spring and No Doubt in My Mind, She's been published in many magazines and blogs, but that's not all. She's also performed with several theaters in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and she was a founding member of Last Minute Improv, which toured Michigan for over 10 years. And in 2009, she created Zip Zap Improv, which she taught in various locations in Grand Rapids, Michigan and other locations. She's worked as a nurse's aide, a bookseller, a Jewish education director, bar and bat mitzvah tutor and Hebrew teacher. She's a member of the River City Writers Group and the Vice President of the West Michigan Blues Society. She's a passionate blues fan and considers the Mississippi Delta her second home. She's married to Greg and they have three children and five grandkids. Sheila is currently seeking publication for her third novel and her website, SheilaSolomonShotwell.com, describes her as writer, actor, educator, teenager at heart. Welcome, Sheila. Oh, thanks for having me. Of course. So... You wear hats. You wear a whole bunch of hats. And your, and your website lists you as writer, actor, educator, teacher, teenager at heart. Which of those roles is primary for you? Uh, I, you know, I guess I would have to say teenager at heart. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> nice. Well, tell me um, how you got involved with writing. What, how long have you been doing that? Has that been since childhood or more recent? Well, you know, I did write quite a bit as a child. I tried to start a Nancy Drew type series with a friend uh, back in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And I wrote um, in high school, I, I won the Emma Quigley Award in high school. I don't even know what that is. But I remember um, having to go up on stage and getting a, an award. Emma Quigley. I, um, <laughs> you know, I, um, I had a wonderful creative writing teacher in high school and that helped. And I did a lot of poetry at the time. I, I um, took great uh, creative writing classes at uh, what was then junior college, now community college in Grand Rapids. Yeah. And I did end up getting so into theater right around that time that it kind of got pushed to the side a little bit. Although I still wrote poetry and won the Diarives Poetry Contest a couple of times uh, mm -hmm. back in my acting days. So um, once the improv group I was in formed, which was early 90s, I didn't do a lot of writing in that time period. I had three kids. I was taking care of my mother with Alzheimer's and two other, an aunt and um, a, a neighbor lady that I was guardian of. So I had three kids, three jobs, three old ladies to take care of. So writing kind of went on the back burner. Then I always had this idea in mind to write a memoir. And every now and then I would, I would write pieces of the memoir, but I never quite could figure how to hook it all together. And then uh, after a uh, big job ended in 2004, I began teaching in province schools, which was part-time. And I also worked as a, a reading specialist at a school full-time here in my neighborhood just for about a year. It opened up a little more space. My mom had passed. My kids were grown up. And so um, I did start to write more of those memoir pieces. And then I got this idea back then, um, anybody who's read the first book knows that the main character, and if you don't, you'll learn very early on, so it's not that much of a spoiler. Um, the main character has a really serious case of psoriasis as a teenager. And uh, right around the same time that I was speaking of 
a little bit ago there, I um, became the facilitator for a psoriasis support group. And because of that, they sent me a DVD that somebody had made about uh, a short film about dealing with psoriasis. And it was really good. And I cried through the whole thing, just thinking, why didn't they have something like this? Just the knowledge and the, and the openness was just not there when I was you know, suffering with this. Then the guy made a second one for kids. And that really moved me. And I got in touch with him and thanked him. And he said, he, he, he asked me where I lived and I told him, and he said, well, I'm going to be speaking in Chicago. Is there any way you can get me here or get me to your city? And I said, let me look into it. Well, it just fell into place. My dermatologist hooked me up with some um, pharmaceutical reps who put the money up and we brought, his name is Fred Finkelstein. They brought Fred to Grand Rapids. He came on the train from Chicago after his gig there and they put him in a nice hotel and, um, we, you know, we showed it at the wealthy theater and he and I both spoke and it was in the back of my mind, you know, the whole time, oh, I wish there was a book for kids about psoriasis, you know, with, because reading had been such a, a, a wonderful escape for me then and still is. And so that was just sort of a little seed I planted. And um, my husband actually wrote a book and he was on a, we were on a book tour out East in 2012. And I had joined the River City Writers Group. Well, at that time, it was called West Michigan Writers Workshop. And um, I had joined in 2011. And so I was doing some stuff with the memoir pieces, bringing them in and trying to figure out what to do with them. And well, I, um, we were on this book tour and we got to, we decided to spend one night at my niece's house in Massachusetts. And when we got there, um, her 12 year old daughter helped me go to the car and get some things. And she saw Greg's box of books and she was so impressed. And she said, Oh, are those the author's clothes? You know, she saw his clothes, there's some clothes on a hanger and it was really cute. And I said, yeah, it, it's, those are his clothes and those are the books. And she said, tell him to write a kid's book. And I said, no, I'm going to. So I always say Kelsey was the one that really kicked it off because I just got this competitive feeling edge with my husband who would never write a kid's book. And I went, that does it. That just does it. So um, on the way there, it had occurred to me, I don't have to make this a memoir. I can fictionalize it and mm -hmm. use the memoir stuff. And I guess that's now called creative nonfiction at the time. I don't think that was necessarily a term that was used. So that's really, I mean, now I'm starting to say when people ask me what the books are, I have to kind of say that because a, three fourths of the stuff in the books is completely true. And a lot of those crazy things happened, mm. but, um, and I don't mind when people ask me what is and isn't, but when it came down, what, what had held me up was the day-to-day -day stuff, like sort of the connecting tissue. I didn't have that because I thought with a memoir, you got to know every, you can't dare be misleading in any way. You'll get in trouble with Oprah or something <laughs> as if that would ever happen. So anyway, I, I realized then and there, what fun. And it was a lot more fun to, to be able to throw in what I felt like, you know, and, and not have to feel like it was the truth, you know? Yeah. And, and that move, that film, I believe is called my skin's on fire. Yes. Uh huh. I was watching a little bit of it earlier today. Um, very powerful. So what would you like to tell us about Ruth Ann? Ruth Ann, um, who is the, um, 
protagonist in both of those books. She's um, somebody who really, really wants to fit in desperately because of her um, unusual background. Mm -hmm. Very rebellious and, and wants to stand out and be her own person. And as she gets a little older, uh, she does just that. And um, in fact, uh, I've got several Ruth Ann short stories where she is older than what she ends up being in the second book. And when I bring them into my writer's group, they're like, wow, Ruth Ann. <laughs> you know, so oh. and, I've, and I've just, just, just started. I'm on like page 20 of a third book because I've had so many requests on my author Facebook page for a third book, I, I get about one a week and it's so flattering and it, and it uh, challenge I'd like to meet, but I don't know. I don't know that it'll end up going very far, but we'll see. I would like to know what happens with Ruth Ann. She's got some spunk. Yeah. <laughs> she does. Yeah. She stands up for herself. I'm impressed with Ruth Ann. <laughs> really enjoy both books a lot. So talking about the writer's group, tell me what that's like for you, because writing can be such a I've, I've done some writing and it can be a lonely proposition. You feel like you're writing something to give others, but you're doing it all by yourself alone. And I think a writer's group is a good, both a good way to fine tune and hone your skills, but I also think it's a way to collaborate or just to connect with other people. And so I'm wondering, did you just, was this the first writer's group that you chose and it worked or did you have to search around for a good fit? Well, it's interesting that you ask that. I never wanted anything to do with a writer's group, but I am a great admirer of Bonnie Jo Campbell, the author um, that lives near Kalamazoo. And um, I heard her speak a couple of times and I met her both times. And I decided to email her after the second time I met her. And I, I said, do you teach creative writing at all in Kalamazoo? Because I actually was toying with the idea of driving because it's only 50 miles from here. Yeah. And I thought, you know, maybe that's what I need to, to really get back into, uh, you know, the mindset that I need to be in. And she just wrote back and said, just join a writer's group. And, and it, it was funny. And yeah. what ended up happening is, as you mentioned earlier, I at one time was a bookseller and the person who was my boss at, in those days, and that was probably my favorite job of my life, is still a very dear friend of mine and the biggest cheerleader on my books, you can't imagine. Mm. And um, she, it would have been the summer of 2011. She said, you know, there's a writer's group at the library that just, that just moved there. They had been meeting somewhere else for uh, about 10 years. And she oh, said, wow. they just moved to the library and she herself worked at the library and was in charge of programming. And she said, we're having a panel of the published people in the group. And I want you to go to it and just hear them out and that you don't have to go to the writer's group, but I really want you to. And I still kind of feel like she's my boss. So, um, what time should I be there? <laughs> exactly. So I went and I listened to these people speak. And I'm telling you, I think Chris grabbed me by the ear and pulled me up there. And she's to the panel afterwards and said, this is Sheila. She's a writer. She's coming to your group. And I just, I, I think, you know, I still wanted to please the boss. So I thought, all right, I'll try it. Yeah. And I, and I went and it was, it was really big at that time. We got between 20 and 30 people. This was Oof. like I said, summer of 2011. Yeah. So some, not everybody would necessarily even get a chance to read their stuff. I was extraordinarily intimidated and a, a novelty that has never quite worn off. In fact, I, I mentioned this to them a couple of weeks ago at group. I said, you know, it's still, I'm still shocked and charmed kind of when somebody comes in here 
with their story and we ask them questions and everybody acts like those characters are 150% real and everything that's said about them is truth. I love that. It, it was the most affirming thing just about ever. And so I didn't bring anything in for a couple of weeks. And I finally decided I had written a couple pieces that I knew had some potential and they have since they were published soon after that, because they helped me to kind of cl- clean them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they're both, I think the two I'm thinking of are both on the website. I brought them in and they were humorous essays and people were roaring. And I just, I had, I, it was kind of like being on stage, you know, getting that immediate feedback. And I had never thought of it that way. And then of course I brought things in that, you know, didn't necessarily go over or got heavily criticized. And one thing that scared me was the guy that ran it was really hard on everybody, really hard on everybody. People, some people never came back. Most new people never came back. Wow. It was, you had to develop a thick skin really fast. And I'm a pretty sensitive person and I don't, I, I didn't have a thick skin mm-hmm. and I just forced myself to grow one because I knew that the advice being given in there and the critiques were excellent. Three other women joined, had been at that panel and joined, and all four of us stayed with the group up till COVID. Now, since COVID, things have reformatted and there was only two of us, original four from that panel time. Okay. And that person has become like a daughter to me. I mean, we, we are just very, very, very close. Very interesting. Um, yes. And it sounds like your group is great. It sounds like that's really working out for you and everybody there. Well, it's way different. Um, it's we're down to about, oh, between seven and 10 people, which in some ways I like. And the library staff has tra- changed completely since uh, it reopened after COVID. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a they didn't know who we were and why we were getting this room every Wednesday. And it's caused a little bit of we've had to really um, fight for keeping the room. And mm-hmm. I don't know how long it's going to last, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, things have changed. The world's a different place. <laughs> it is. So let's switch gears a little bit and move to talking about reading. Mm-hmm. So as you know, this is a book lovers podcast. So uh, yes. I'm wondering what you liked to read as a child, as a teen, and what you like to read now. Well, as a child, um, I have some favorites that I reread about every seven or eight years. And they were books that I got through the Scholastic Book Service. And I still have a very soft spot. I look in all the little libraries when I walk around my neighborhood and I try to find the Scholastic Book from the 60s. I love those. The two or three favorites that I had were... um, probably not things you've heard of. Maybe one was called Patricia's Secret. One was called The Secret Language, Sensible Kate. I have a whole pile. I keep them by my bedside and I really treasure rereading them. And I'm pretty impressed. Oh, another one too is the Ginny series, Ginny and the Mystery Doll. I reread that in the summer and I'm really impressed with the vocabulary back then that I I think, you know, considering these were books for middle grades. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm pleased that I was exposed to all those good words. Um, I also loved, you know, the Little House books and I loved um, Nancy Drew's and, you know, uh, the classics that most kids like. uh, And then as a teen, I, you know, I I started to read a lot of trash. I I didn't seek reading out as much as a teenager, but if a book 
happened to be near me, I'd pick it up and read. And my father was married to quite a character who shows up in the books. And she would have Harold Robbins around and Jacqueline Suzanne. And, uh, you know, I remember reading The Carpetbaggers. <laughs> and um, it was really, you know, probably practically X-rated. And I was really into it. And I left it on the bus. <laughs> and I was <laughs> and I was so bummed. <laughs> But, um, you know, I read Love Story. I'm, I look back at my teen years until I got a little bit. I mean, I'm talking about early teens. Once I got into um, like the 11th grade, then I discovered the Beat Poets. And I started to um, read, you know, Lawrence Ferlinghetti and Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac. And, you know, I I changed very much by the time I was, you know, getting towards 17 probably 17. That's when I started to read good stuff. Then I really took off uh, D.H. Lawrence and Dostoevsky. And, you know, I, I, I took off after that, but between like 12 and 17, there was a long stint in there where I'm kind of embarrassed about the stuff I read (laughs) for sure. And now I, fiction is as important to me as water. I, I can't, I mean, if I didn't have a book to look forward to at the end of every day, I wouldn't find a way to get through life. Yeah. And I have a lot of favorite authors. Um, and I'm, you know, still in pursuit of new ones that, you know, I that I find uh I love and Ann Tyler. I love um Elizabeth um Stroud. Wait, is that right? Not, yep. is that, yeah, yeah. I just yep. finished her latest book. Me too. Oh, I loved it so much. I, know. I and, you know, it, it it being about the pandemic, it it, it was mm-hmm. fascinating to me. To, to read about something I just went through, but it didn't, it, it was just surreal. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, I just finished the sequel to The Miniaturist, which um, I don't know if you read, The Miniaturist was one of my favorite books of the last five years. I haven't read that. I'll add it to my oh, list. So good. And, um, oh, I'm trying to think, you know, I've, um, I reread books not that often because I feel like I'm so old, I, I don't have time, but I also, um, read oh I'd say I not as quite as many but I do read young adult books and I was doing that a lot um during the time I wrote my two books but to be honest um once I realized that teenagers are not reading my books adults are I've moved more away from that I think I've heard from one teenager about my books I I'm just looking at my list here um I write down all my books so that I don't reread them but did you read French Braid Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yep. Love that book. Loved it. I love her books. Oh, she's, there's something, both she and Elizabeth Stroud. Is it Stroud? It doesn't sound right. The last name is spelled Stroud. I don't know if it's pronounced Stroud or Stroud. Okay. Okay. They both give me this, um, they just, this fulfilling, cozy sort of, I don't know. I just, the, they, they're very um, character driven. There's not a ton of action whatsoever. There's very little storyline and I'm, and I can't wait to get back. Yeah. Crawling into a, you know, a a cozy cave to, for both, both of those authors. Right. I call that genre family fiction. I don't know if that's a a real genre or not, but it's usually family centered. Another book that's like that is the late comer. I think that last name is Hannah. No, I don't know that one. Um, Don't get it confused with the late comers, but that's another one like that. And also Jonathan Franz and Crossroads. Yeah, I read oh, that. So good. I listened um, to that one. That was oh, good. Did you? Oh, yeah. I read Crossroads and then and then I read. I was at a neighbor 
thing last March and the lady up there said, I mentioned that um, a guy in my writer's group had met him and um, had some interesting remarks to make about him. And I mentioned it and she laughed and said, oh, it doesn't surprise me. And then she said, <laughs> have you read corrections? And I said, no. And she said she'd read it three times. It's very so good. I got corrections out and I, I didn't like it that much, but I thought I really liked the person that told me. So I stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. I think the corrections is a little bit edgier than crossroads. Yeah. Um, I don't mind edgy usually. I just, I don't know. I thought it would need editing. It just, his books are so long. They are very long. Yes. It sounds like we like the same types of things. I'll look for it for sure. Um, so if you, well, and you probably have done this, you have grandchildren. If you have to choose a beloved book that you're going to hand to a 10 year old child, what book are you going to hand them? Well, I've tried handing, you know, my kid, my grand girls, um, a few different ones. Boy, it's really hard to narrow it down. And um, luckily the um, 10 year old twin boy listens every night and he'll listen to almost anything I suggest to him. Oh, good. I, I told him all about the the books by the author and Flint, um, the Watsons go to Birmingham and all those. Mm-hmm. And he listened to the, all of them. I, I really, really love that author. I would also, I also was fortunate enough to meet the lady that wrote uh, One Crazy Summer. She, she has a trilogy and I read the trilogy and then bless her heart. I sent her my book and she, I sent her gone before spring and she wrote back to me about it. It was so good. Oh, nice. Back. So I, I, I really like those books. I think they're important books for kids, but yeah. books from my childhood that I, I, once again, I love for my grandkids to read the secret language. Um, it's about a little girl that goes to boarding school and she's extraordinarily um, shy and somebody, a, a, a real kooky little girl befriends her and they make up the secret language and it kind of saves the situation. And it's, it's like a, it's like a, a fantasy, but in, rooted in realism, <laughs> you know, so Interesting. Um, that's, that's probably my favorite childhood book. Yeah. It's Ursula Nordstrom is the, is the author. So have you read Harry Potter? No, I have not. I have read them, but it took me, even though I was a bookseller at the time, it took me probably five years before I read the first one. So by the time I was reading them, many were out. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. No, it's something I, I, every now and then it crosses my mind that I should, I did read the hunger games because I, I, um, older, I have two older grand boys who are, um, 19 and 21 and they were, um, really into those. And I don't know, I felt kind of out of it everywhere I went. So I, I broke down and read that. I might've read the second one too. Hmm. Just not my cup of tea. I don't read very much, um, fantasy or anything, you know, in an other world type stuff. I did love station 11. My dear friend in writer's group convinced me to read it. And she was right. I did think that was really good. It was very creative. Um, but very rarely now one author I read that that tends to um weave a little fantasy in is Jesmyn Ward and um you know sing unburied sing and her and her other she's she's got some fantasy stuff into some of hers and mm-hmm. that I can handle um also um Colson Whitehead one the Underground Railroad you know different books that I read a lot of black literature I, I tend to gravitate to Jewish authors and black authors it's mm-hmm. just kind of my I, there's very rarely um, a book with black or Jewish characters that I don't end up sticking with. 
Have you read the uh, memoir Becoming Eve? I don't think so. That's the it's the memoir of a Hasidic Jew who um, is transgender and the story of coming out as transgender in within the Hasidic community. I'll put that down. Who's the author? Uh, I think her name is Abby Stein. Well, that's good to know. No, I don't think I did. I just read something that you'll probably want to take out of this interview. Um, I just read a book called Schmutz. <laughs> and it's about, it's about a, a Hasidic woman who's addicted to online pornography. And it is so funny. And yet so there's parts of it that you just, it tugs at your heart. It, I mean, I, I could not even believe I, you know, it was written up in all these different um, Jewish publications. And I thought, well, you know, I'll see. I, I didn't know that's what it was about. I just love the name because that's one of my favorite Yiddish words. And um, there it was. So. Wow. Is it yeah, a memoir or a novel? No, it's a novel. Okay. I immediately, when I think of that and I think about other books I've read, um, something that a theme that I've never thought much about until probably the last six months when I happened to listen to a Ted talk, Ted talk by Brene Brown was the topic of shame and how that drives people. And mm -hmm. that is a strong force in so much literature. Well, that's um, funny you mention it because I just started reading Shanda, which is a Yiddish term for shame by Letty Cotton Pogrebin. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She started Ms. Magazine and Free to Be You and Me. And oh, okay. She's like Gloria Steinem's partner. Okay. And I've read a lot of her stuff and her daughter now is writing and so forth. But anyways, she has a new book out called Shonda. It's brand new. I just started it. So um, that's the theme. It's it's a series of essays, which, and I don't read a lot of nonfiction, very rarely, mostly, yeah, I shouldn't say, I read three or four biographies or something a year, but mm -hmm my first nonfiction in a while. So yeah. So mine's usually blues biographies. Oh <laughs> yeah, I bet. Talk so, a little so, bit about, talk about a, a little bit about your love of the blues. You know, well, there's, there's <laughs> a fine, there's, it's a seamless transition, I think from literature to music. Mm, yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, um, blues is, I, I tell people it's, it's really my religion. Um, I've always, I've always loved blues since high school and I didn't get really into it in the way that I am now until once again, I had the three old ladies and the three jobs and all the, you know, when, once those things started to subside somewhat, we started to um, go to the Mississippi Delta. And that would have been, I think the first time was 2005. And we just fell in love. Why we, I mean, me and my husband, we fell in love with Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is the home of the blues. It's where, so many people are from, it's not funny. And in addition to all these blues people, Tennessee Williams is from there too. So we not only go to blues festivals there, we go to the Tennessee Williams festival every year. We didn't, well, we missed this year for it's, those are in October, Yeah, but um, we had to miss, we had some life stuff going on, but yeah, it's, it's become um, very, very um, important to my emotional well-being to go there and to get that feeling of, of connectedness. And I don't know quite how to describe it. It it's, it's almost as if I, I've always said, I, I think I, in another life that I was from the South <laughs> prior to doing the whole Delta blues thing, I was on this huge um, kick of civil rights uh, places and plantations and touring all this stuff, mm -hmm. which is um, something that inspired this third book that I've written. 
And um, there's something, a real returning to home feeling for me there when I go. And mm -hmm. I've made a lot of good friends. And Nice. I understand what you mean about music reaching, well, touching you in a certain way. I think music cuts through everything. Mm -hmm. It cuts through everything and it hits you in your soul. Yes. Uh, it might not always be the blues for everybody, but right. when you need it, it's there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep. I do understand. Um, so I understand oh. you've written a third book that's awaiting publication. Tell me about that. Well, the book is called The Plaid Scarf. And this one really, I think, I think some adults would enjoy it. But I think this one might have more of an appeal to uh, kids than the two that take place in the 60s. Uh, this book, I was inspired to write when I was in Selma, Alabama in, um, oh, I think it was 2009. I went into a really old, old antique store that had been probably a dress shop at one time. And it had a balcony. And I went up to the balcony and everything was just dusty and musty. And I fished around through a box. And I, I have collected vintage clothes since I was a teenager. And my house looks like a time tunnel. So antique stores are something I always check out. Anyway, I went through this box and I ran across a plaid scarf and I liked the colors. They were very unusual. And I love plaid wool scarves. I sort of, one of the many things I collect. So I thought, well, good. I found one thing to buy here. So I bought the scarf and I left the store. And as soon as I left the store, I had this overwhelming feeling come from the scarf that just I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I thought this scarf's been places. This scarf has been places. And then it, 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 I put it away, but I knew in the back of my mind, there was a book involved with a scarf. Well, it wasn't until, um, oh, probably 2016, I started to write it because I was done with the other two. And I had always thought it was going to be a children's picture book. And then I don't know quite, I can't quite explain how it came about, but I got this idea for this, for the book. And I realized, no, I'm, I like to sink my teeth into a story. So I'm going to, I'm going to write this story about where this scarf came from, who owned it. So what ended up happening is I wrote a book that takes place in Selma half the time. And then in Grand Rapids, half the time. And when it's in Selma, it's 1964, 65. And when it's in Grand Rapids, it's 2019. And I kept changing it as I was writing. First it was 2016. <laughs> and as the years went on, and then I realized it's got to be before the pandemic. So I left it at 2019. Mm -hmm. And um, it goes back and forth. And in 2017, I lost my son. He took his life. And I didn't write a word for nine months after that. And he had read, he had helped me even with one of the scenes in the book, not too long before I lost him. And uh, that was one of the reasons it was hard for me to go back. But all of a sudden it occurred to me about nine months later that, oh, wait a minute, he's got to be in this and in a different way. He already was, but he's got to be in this in a different way. So I started the book completely over and, um, then by 2019, it was finished and I've sent it out um, to some agents. And I know that there's a little bit of a problem that um, Gladine is the main character in 1964 and she's black, but the other main character, I shouldn't say she's the main character. She's one of two. The other one is a Jewish character. There's a little problem right now getting published um, 
if you're white and you're writing black characters, I haven't gotten a lot of, I've only actually had one agent say that that was an issue for them, but I don't have the drive that I had um, in the beginning. And I think the pandemic did a lot to influence that. Yeah. So I haven't been sending it out or very much. And I may just, I may just end up self-publishing it. I'm not sure. And I felt pretty happy with, um, you know, how it came out, but I, I, I just said, Hey, can you just read this and tell me how it ring, if it rings true for you? And mm-hmm. I can't remember, he gave me a, a little something or other to put in there or change or whatever, but, and that's kind of where I, that's where I, I couldn't look at it for nine months, you know, of course not. So Sheila, tell me a little bit about how people can connect with you on social media. I have an author page, which is Sheila Solomon Shotwell author. And I um, have had an extraordinary uptick in the past year. I had 200 followers for, oh my gosh, probably six or seven years. And I was really frustrated and I thought, "Eh." but during COVID, I put more heart into it and uh, began to post the things that I would post on my page on other retro pages. It's a retro page. And most of the stuff has to do with the books, but it's just for anybody who's nostalgic about the 60s. And that just just took off like crazy. I have almost 4,000 um, followers now. Really? Yeah. And, That's um, great. Yeah, I think last time I looked, it was 3,900 and something. So wow. I uh, now I'm religious about trying to answer everybody. Now people are having conversations together and people have contacted me privately and I have little fun chit chats with them. And it, it's just become almost an obli- well, it is like a daily obligation. I try to post six things a day and um, I'm having a, a really good time with it. That is great. Well, and I've seen the page and every time you put on there a teen magazine or a 17 magazine, I get such a kick out of it because I can totally remember those magazines. Oh, boy, going to Kroger's, there's a new issue. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, good stuff. Um, And then you also have your website. I'll be sharing the links to all of Sheila's um, work. Um, I'll be sharing the link to her Facebook page and her own web page, which by the way, take a look at the cover, the homepage of her web page. You'll see the covers of her two books, which are Gone Before Spring and No Doubt in My Mind. Great covers. I love the retro design. Uh, and be sure and check those out. They are available in paperback. Is that correct? And in and Kindle form? Ebook. Yep. So paperback and ebook. All right. Well, Sheila, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad we got to talk after communicating via social media for so long. And I hope we can talk again soon sometime. Well, me too, Catherine. Thank you very much. Uh, I can't wait to see what Sheila's third novel is all about. It sounds fantastic. Not going to spend too much longer here today, but I would like to just revisit our A to Z mystery tour. I'm going to move on to the B's. The book I would like to talk about today is called Death in Paris. That's a mystery by an author named Amelia Bernhard. It was written in 2018. This is uh, book one of the Death in Paris mysteries. I don't know if there are future titles in the series or not, but boy, this was a 100% five-star review. Uh, It's a quiet mystery. There's some attention to detail just enough, not too much, no side stories, no cast of thousands, no street full of merchants, and no um, staff, no neighbors causing problems, no, just very simple, 
Rachel Levi's trying to figure out whether there was actually a murder. She's trying to solve a murder that nobody else believes happened. There is one character named Magda, who is a best friend of Rachel. She's so heartfelt and so thoughtful in her conversations that I have to wonder if Magda or Magda might not actually be the voice of the author stepping into the narrative to argue with Rachel. These are intense, heartfelt talks. I did not skim this book, which I do with so many mysteries, which is how I get through so many so quickly, but this is a gem of a book. So that is Amelia Bernhard, B-E-R-N-H-A-R-D, first name Amelia, E-M-I-L-I-A. The book is called Death in Paris. Thank you for joining us on the House of Books podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider a five-star rating to make it easier for others to find us. And also, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. See you next time. Happy reading.